you uh, to bring God's word to you. It's uh, always a pleasure uh, to return again uh, to your presence. Uh, there is uh, a joy uh, in my heart uh, in seeing all of you once more. Uh, you have shared with me in my ministry uh, through these, uh, uh, these years uh, of my life uh, here in Connecticut. You, you have uh, ministered alongside of me in great and small ways. You, you have uh, uh, given me cause to rejoice whenever I'm in your presence, uh, particularly uh, uh, that it is from you uh, whom I, I've received one of my greatest gifts, which was uh, my wife, and I'm always, always thankful. Uh, and I, it's a pleasure to bring back blessings to you as well. Uh, so this morning, I will be preaching uh, from that labor of love by uh, Paul uh, from Philippians chapter 2. If you want to follow along in the reading, it is from page 980 of your pew Bibles. Again, it'll be, uh, ultimately, we'll, we'll be, I'll be preaching from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, but we'll begin the reading at the beginning of chapter 2. Again, it's on page 980 of your pew Bibles. Hear now the word of the Lord. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count to others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Join me in prayer. Father God, I am well aware that as I stand here and proclaim your word, uh, that I stand here as a sinner, uh, beseeching sinners. Uh, and in hearing your word, our, our eyes and our ears can be so clouded uh, that we see the sinner uh, and not your word. Uh, Father, forgive me of my sins. Uh, cover them over uh, with the righteousness of your Son so that in the words that are proclaimed, we would see Christ, that we would feed on him, that we would be nourished by him. We pray this in your Son's name by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. There, uh, again, as I think uh, of you, and I think of what you have done for me, there is an appropriateness uh, in terms of preaching from the letter of Philippians. It is a labor of love uh, that Paul has written to the Philippians. It is his love for him. 
And, and this sermon, as is Paul's letter, I, I would like to argue, I hope it is at least, a, a labor of love and joy of my own for you. I, I have no doubt uh, that, in other words, that it will be for your good. It will be for your encouragement. Uh, but also, like, like Paul's letter, you see, it, it is meant uh, to uncover weaknesses uh, in your fellowship, weaknesses in us, weaknesses in all of us. Uh, uh, Paul clearly loved the Philippians, uh, but there was clearly conflict in their midst. There was clearly disagreement in their midst, there's, there is clearly a, uh, a, a lack, ultimately, of humility, a, a lack of love among members in their midst. A, a, a tendency, or, or we might put it this way, a tendency that I see even in myself to assert that I am right and you are wrong. Uh, I even can cite scripture passages to prove my point. Uh, Paul, however, uh, in his letter to them, just showing his love, he, he doesn't beat them about the head. He, uh, he, he doesn't knock them upside the head. He, 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 he instructs, but he also encourages. And he encourages his readers to obedience in Christ. Uh, that, is, that is the central thrust of his letter. That is the, the obedience of loving one another, the, the obedience of submitting to one another, the obedience of humbling ourselves, considering others more important than ourselves. And a moment's reflection will, of course, tell us how hard that is to do. Uh, to submit ourselves to one another, to humble ourselves to one another, uh, is that not, uh, in some sense, to nullify ourselves, to lose ourselves, to deny ourselves? Uh, it, it requires letting go of the things that are important to us. It requires letting go of our respect of our honor, of, of our ambitions, of our wisdom, of our power, uh, 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 of even our righteousness before others. Uh, to submit ourselves to one another is, is often to lose one or even all of those things. Uh, and that's hard. Uh, because sometimes those are the things, that, that's all we've got left. That's all that we've got left to grasp in our hand, and we want to hold on to it for dear life. Uh, but that's what Christ tells us to let go, and that's what Paul is encouraging us to do. And, and he does so, uh, again, not by beating us over the head, but by setting Christ before our eyes, uh, particularly there in verses uh, 5 and following. He sets Christ before our eyes by setting the love of Christ before us. And there's a sense in which, uh, and it's appropriate, uh, that we're partaking of the Lord's Supper today because there's a sense in which he sets before us the feast of Christ's body and blood. He, 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 he sets before us this feast that we might feed on Christ, that we might be nourished by Christ, and, and as we are fed by Christ, that our grasp, our grip on these things might loosen, that we might let go. So Paul continues, and, and this morning's passage can be divided as follows. First, verse 5, the, the introduction or comprehensive statement. Verses 6 through 9, Christ's humiliation. And then finally, verses 10 through 11, Christ's 
exaltation. So let us begin with verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now notice first, Paul is not saying, what would Jesus do? That's not the point of this passage. Uh, uh, This is not a be like Christ passage. Instead, what Paul is doing is something quite profound. He, He is setting a promise before us. Uh, Quite plainly, he is saying, because you are in Christ, because you have been united to him, you also have this benefit, you also have this gift, and it is this way of thinking, because you have been given Christ's way of thinking. You have been given his thinking, it has been given to you. Our union with Christ brings with it gifts. It gives us aids, helpers for our obedience. Uh, not, not just encouragement, and certainly not guilt-tripping, but actual spiritual benefits to our body, to our soul, to our mind. And Paul is, again, he's setting gifts before our eyes that, that we might unwrap them. He's setting Christ before our eyes that we might gaze upon him and to consider him, to look at him. So, so for example, uh, verses 6 through 8, I said, uh, have to do with Christ's humiliation. Uh, his being made a man, uh, his suffering death on the cross. Uh, we can actually split the verses up further. Verse 6 is the highest of the highs, where he comes from. Verses 7 to, through 8 is the lowest of lows, where he ends. And together we might sum them together as saying that in the Son of God, we have one who has spanned the distance uh, in his glory and honor. That, that is, he, he has had glory and honor greater than anyone could have, and he has had dishonor greater than anyone could ever have. He's gone from the highest to the lowest. That is, that is the creator of the universe. Here, here we have that the creator of the universe counted it worthy to not just wear the mantle of the creature, but to die an inglorious death, a a horrifying death, a death of the curse. Uh, Look at verse 6. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. What what does that mean? Uh, Certainly we say with confidence that Christ Jesus here is, we're being described as, he is no less than God himself. He is God. That that is what Paul is saying here. What is affirmed here is what the church has maintained throughout its whole history, throughout the whole history of orthodoxy. This is the right theology. A being in the form of God means no less than that he is God. And being God, yet we see that he has set aside something. He He has not counted equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Well, that passage, what, what does it mean that he's emptied himself? And that has, that has been wrongly used, uh, I want to emphasize, wrongly used, uh, to suggest that Christ in his humiliation, in his coming to earth, somehow emptied himself of his divinity. That is incorrect. Understand that. Uh, sometimes I, I think that interpretation is laid at, at the feet of Charles Wesley, our, our, our hymnal avoids this controversy, you'll notice, uh, uh, by editing and modifying Wesley's hymn, And Can It Be? 
but, but the original uh, Wesley wrote, and clearly, clearly he's thinking about Philippians. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and, and bled for Adam's helpless race. And that, and that last line I'd argue with. Uh, but a thoughtful reading of Wesley uh, on that third line, emptied himself of all but love, will get at what Paul is saying here. Though I admit, uh, I think our hymnal does a little bit of a better job in, in changing the words to humbled himself so great his love. That is, when, when Paul says that Christ did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, he meant that Christ did not count equality with God a thing to be used for his own advantage. He did not consider that the glory and the honor that he had in being the Son of God, in being God himself, was, was to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Or, or we might say that, that the word that he uses here to speak of, of being made nothing is the same word used in Romans 4. When Paul writes, if those who are of the law are heirs, faith has been emptied or sometimes translated nullified, or made nothing. Uh, that is, uh, it's been nullified, it's been made nothing. So to paraphrase, though he was God, he did not regard that as something to use for his own advantage, but made himself nothing. He made himself empty. He made himself nullified. Uh, Perhaps, as, as an example, we see this most plainly in the Gospels, uh, particularly in the account of the young man who comes to him and calls him good teacher. Uh, how does Christ respond? Does, uh, does he say, you're right, I, I am the good teacher because I'm God? Uh, does, does thunder erupt as he speaks? Does, does lightning flash? Does he reveal himself to be the third person of the Trinity? Second person. Second person of the Trinity. No, he, he does quite the opposite. Instead, he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He separates himself. He, he goes lower. He lowers himself in the eyes of the good man, of the young man. You see, Christ in his humiliation, taking on the mantle of the creature, did not set his divinity aside. That's important. Uh, this is the one who walked on the water. This is the one who stilled the raging sea with the sound of his voice. This is the one who fed the 5,000. No, no, he became one person with two natures. But during his earthly ministry, his divine nature was largely concealed. It was largely hidden. He was willing to let people think that they knew better than him. He was willing to let people think that they were more powerful than him. He was willing, consider, for example, the, the, the priests of the temple. They, when they complained that he was healing on the Sabbath, uh, how outrageous. Consider for a moment that this is God himself. How outrageous it is that they should even dare complain. They thought they knew better than him. Uh, and uh, they, they thought they had a better understanding of God's law than God himself. They thought, and, and again, if it were me, in all my sins, uh, the thunder would have roared, the lightning would have flashed. Uh, I would have made sure that they knew who they were dealing with. 
But that's not what Christ does. He, he willingly makes himself nothing. He willingly makes himself to be of no consequence. And Paul continues, by, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. That is the son of God, light of light, of light true God of true God, begotten, not made, uh, came down to us, uh, was incarnate, and made true man not for his own advantage, but to serve, to be a servant, and to serve us. Again, the, the image that ought to flash in our minds is when, when Christ strips off his outer cloak and gets down on his hands and knees and washes his disciples' feet, uh, washes even uh, the disciple who he knows who will betray him, uh, willing to take that affront. The God of creation came to serve us. Uh, the God of creation humbled himself to serve us. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So his service to us, his being a servant to us, was also his obedience to the Father. Uh, that is, that, that the Son of God was wholly obedient to the Father. He, he divested himself of his glory. He divested himself of his honor, and he came to serve us serving us by, the, by way of the most humiliating manner of death. A foolishness to the Greeks, a, a stumbling block to the Jews, death as a common criminal on the cross. <clears throat> Wherefore was God in Golgotha slain as a serf is slain. A slain as a, as a common criminal. Uh, consider, uh, again, the, the distance. You see, see, Paul's setting before us the distance between verse 6 and verse 8. He's setting before us the, the distance and, and the unbridgeable distance between our God and glory and our God upon the cross. Uh, and, but again, Charles Wesley was right uh, uh, to reflect on love as the driving force of Christ's work. Uh, he loved his neighbor as himself. That, that is why he did what he did. Uh, he loved his neighbor as himself. Uh, he who is God, he proved it on the cross. And, and then in verses 9 through 11, Paul turns our attention to Christ's exaltation, uh, uh, his vindication by God the Father, and we'll run through this really rapidly. He, uh, uh, he is raised from the grave. Uh, he is set upon the throne. Uh, the one who has been obedient in all things now becomes the one to whom all things must be obedient. Uh, his name, which was once the lowliest of names, Jesus, uh, now becomes the highest of names. It becomes the name at which every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Uh, we might say that his, his humiliation uh, becomes a woven garment of exaltation. Uh, he wears it with praise. 
Now, why is, why is Paul telling us all this? There, there, there are certainly many things which we can uh, derive from this passage, uh, but, but let's keep it to three. Uh, first, the cause of our obedience. Uh, second, the pattern of our obedience. And, and third, the vindication of our obedience. Uh, let's begin the cause of our obedience. When, when Paul declares that every knee should bow and every tongue confess, he is using active language. That is not passive language. Uh, that is Christ's reward. Christ's vindication includes with it our obedience. That is, his work causes us to obey. Uh, How so? Because in serving us, his obedience was meant to be our obedience. Uh, normally, we think of Christ's work uh, uh, with respect to our justification, our, our getting saved. Uh, he, he died for our sins, we would say. Uh, and, and that must never be understated. Uh, that is a glorious thing. Uh, but his labors upon the earth were also for our sanctification. That is for, for our being made more and more holy, for, for our being made able not to sin, to be righteous, to do good, to love our neighbors as ourselves. That is outside of Christ. We are incapable of that love. Outside of feeding upon him, we are incapable of that love. It is not simply that we are bad at it, but we are incapable. We, we may give the appearance. Uh, we may... Uh, 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 We may look like we are doing it, but at root, we will find a love motivated uh, and driven by what? Self-love? By fear? By anxiety? By those things that we hold on tightly to? But Christ's love becomes to us the source and the root of which our love is the inevitable Fruit. Uh, That is, uh, this command, uh, the command that Christ gives us to love one another uh, in Christ's own work, in his own offering up of himself, in his own vindication, through it becomes that which is not too difficult. Uh, Because we have been united to Christ, not because we are good people, not because we are good little boys and girls, but because we've been united to Christ. He he has enabled us as the source of our love. He has enabled us to love and to submit ourselves to one another, even to lose ourselves to one another, to, to lose ourselves in each other, to be humbled, to be obedient, even when it doesn't feel nice. Uh, Christ's uh, humiliation is the cause, the source, the root of our obedience. It is his work which makes us able to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Uh, Paul will say later in this chapter, our our temptation, you see, uh, uh, is to understand, uh, 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 this is shifting now, Uh, into the pattern of our obedience. Our our temptation is to understand obedience towards God as a a series of rules 
uh, to be followed and obeyed. And, and that is perhaps one of the reasons why we struggle in our obedience and one of the reasons why we struggle in humbling ourselves towards one another. Uh, as though the commandments given in Scripture were a, a series of minutely defined case law. Uh, check them off. Make sure you did them. But consider, for example, uh, our shorter catechism, how it describes the Ten Commandments. It describes the Ten Commandments as what? As, as a summary as a summary of God's law. And you say, well, I've heard that word summary before also in Scripture. Where have I heard that? Well, Christ describes his own description of the law as a summation of the law, to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself, that these two are a summation, a summary of the law. But, of course, the moment we speak of the law as a summary... Well, the idea of it as case law goes out the window, right? Because once it's a summary, uh, it's no longer a series of rules to be checked off. But then, it, rather, it becomes a matter of wisdom and discernment and reflection uh, of thoughtfulness. That, that is, in Christ's humiliation, Paul shows us the true summary of the law, uh, of what submitting ourselves to one another looks like, uh, of what counting others more significant than ourselves looks like. It looks like dying. And that's perhaps the hardest thing about the law, is that at root, it's dying. Uh, Jack Miller, uh, an author I love, uh, In the Loving Life, a, a book uh, that uh, I can't say enough about, describes counseling a, a husband uh, struggling in his marriage with a, with a bitter and combative wife. And, and Miller uh, explains to the man that, he, that, that hey, you got to love her and, and you got to serve her. Uh, and uh, you got to set aside your own bitterness. You got to set aside your own anger. Uh, you got to set aside the demand that she changes. And the man says to Miller, uh, But that feels like dying. That feels like death. And, and, and Miller, uh, perhaps uh, uh, not in the most pastoral sense, uh, says, well, that's the point. You're supposed to die. That that's, that's what we're being driven to here. That's what we're being driven to as we reflect upon Christ and what he has done for us. We are supposed to die. That is the pattern which Christ has given to us. And thank goodness, again, that we let off, that he is also the source and the root of this, that he will indeed help us to die. He will indeed lead us through that death in our own sanctification, step by step. It is he who nourishes us. It is he who enables us. It is he who causes us to be able to submit ourselves to death for his sake because he has already done it for us. And Paul could leave us there, but he doesn't. Uh, for, for the pattern also points to the goal. 
It points to the vindication uh, of our obedience. That is, there is a trajectory also to our obedience, uh, which causes us to go down to the grave and then up to glory and our eyes to be on that glory, uh, on that eternal glory. Uh, You you see, undoubtedly, uh, the biggest fear that we have to obedience, the biggest fear uh, to to counting others more significant than ourselves, to uh, the the biggest fear that we have uh, to, to bowing down and letting someone else take precedence over us is what? It, it, it's, will I ever be vindicated? Will, will what I do ever be remembered? Uh, will, is there something better that I'm going to get by giving up what I've got in my hands? And, and what Paul is telling us is this. We can lay down our lives for one another because we are already united to one who has laid down his life for us and taken it up again. And if he who has spanned the distance, who has kept, who has kept the hardest promise, who has kept the most painful promise, if he has done that, then he will keep his promises with us, that he will gather us to himself and that he will vindicate us as well. Uh, That is, in Christ, you see, we have have immeasurably more uh, than all that we ask or think. Even as we cling tightly to these things, our pride, our honor, our our, our rights, uh, he has already given us so much more that cannot be taken away. He has given us Christ. Uh, Indeed, we have access to Christ through his name, the name at which every knee shall bow. That is, inasmuch as Christ has been exalted, you see, having been given Christ, we have already been exalted as well. In in our own humiliation, we already share in the exaltation of Christ, uh, and we shall be exalted all the more with him in eternity. Our, Our humiliation will become the garment of our exaltation, or uh, as my favorite passage in Joel 2.25 goes, uh, the years uh, that the locusts have eaten, I will restore to you. And, and undoubtedly, those years will be restored as, as like a garment, as like a hem uh, that you gather about you, and perhaps even, the, even the, the locusts will be woven into that garment, and it will be beautiful. It'll be glorious. Paul, Paul, in other words, is telling us, look upon all those in the world. Look at all those out there in the world that carry about their idols, that that hold tightly to those things that cannot save, that pray tightly, that that work those things, whether it is their strength, their finances, their politics, uh, what not. But you, you have the righteous God you have the Savior. What do you lack? The, the, the wealth of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush, all that shall be yours. Indeed, at the end of the age, as Isaiah tells us, and, and as an aside, I think, I think that there's no doubt here that, that Paul has Isaiah 45 in the back of his mind as he's writing these words to the Philippians. 
So that as Isaiah tells us, at the end of the age, not only shall every knee bow to Christ, but because we have been united to Christ and we are his body and we are bound up in him who is our head, every knee shall bow to us. What do we have in our hands that has not been already given to us by Christ? What do we have in our hands that is greater than what has been given to us by Christ? Uh, they shall come over to you and be yours. They shall follow you. They shall come over in chains and bow down to you. They will plead with you saying, surely God is in you and there is no other, no God besides him. We, we have nothing, in other words, we have nothing to lose in our obedience to Christ. Nothing to lose. What greater respect can there be than to be called a servant of Christ? What greater honor, what, what greater wisdom is there than Christ himself? Uh, why cling to our own self-righteousness when we can have his? Why, why cling to our own rights when we can have his? Why, what power do we have that is comparable to the power that Christ has given us? What wealth is there in the face of the wealth of Christ? You see, the, the humiliation and the exaltation of Christ, that which he has done for you is meant to work into your life and into your heart. It is meant to open those hands, to let go of those things for which you fight for, for which you feel the need to defend your honor, your glory, your good name. It's meant to to help you to let go, to release, uh, uh, as like Moses, the meekest man on earth. You need not defend yourself, for you are united to Christ. Uh, that you would even be emptied, brought to naught, brought to nothing, knowing that you have already been filled to overflowing with the water of life. You see, the, the actual work of Christ is still, uh, by the Holy Spirit, being, being applied to your heart. It's being still applied to your mind and to your soul that, that you might know more intimately, that, 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 that you might obey as one who has their eye on Christ and no other. Uh, be, therefore, encouraged, for that is the work he's doing in you. Uh, therefore, feast on Christ who loves you and gave himself for you, uh, that his work of humiliation might work in you a loving obedience to your brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, setting before your eyes the beautiful pattern of his work uh, and the promised and assured vindication uh, that even as you are united to Christ now, you shall be united to him in eternity receiving all that you need from his hand. Uh, so then seek all the more to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look not only to your inter own interests, but also to the interests of others. Amen. Join me in prayer. <clears throat> Father God, we... Uh, uh, in this life, we, we, we grip so tightly uh, to so many things and, and fight for them uh, and, and fear their loss, uh, whether it's our health or our honor 
or our, our intellect or, or our power or, um, or, or, or anything else. But you show us another way in, in, in the sending forth of your son uh, who humbled himself on our behalf, who, who humbled himself out of love for us. And so you call us again to remember how he is working by his spirit in us that we might be more like him. Uh, Father, open our hands from those things which we tightly grasp, uh, that we might grasp that which has grasped us first, uh, the gospel of your son, your love uh, in your son and through the working of your spirit in us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.